Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! To the win! Welcome back to Dunks and Discourse, Episode 2. I'm Josh Eberly, joined as always by my co-host Jabari Davis. Jabari, last we we left off, we were talking about the NBA season hopefully coming back. Uh, Netflix's Ozark, and this week we're going to be talking about Netflix's Tiger King, Disney's Pixar Onward, as well as how it compares to other movies in the Pixar universe, and some NBA news including a fun little game where if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only watch five historical NBA games on loop, what would they be? But before we get to any of that, man, I just got to ask, like, do, you, do you game at all? Do you play any video games? Not really. To be honest with you, it's been years. So you're, you're just straight binging television through, through I, the quarantine. Unfortunately, that's pretty much the case, especially since I've actually been sticking to the quarantine. You know that question you see every once in a while where like someone's like, would you rather have sports or movies? Mm-hmm. Does this officially end that debate? Yeah, for me, it absolutely ends it. You know, movies are great. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's more difficult of a decision than I anticipated, but give me sports because you get the drama, you get all of the, you know, all of the emotional, you know, roller coaster, and, you know, it, 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 you, you get the competition. You know what? This, that's funny. That, that's why we are meant to be in opposite chairs because it ends the debate for me the opposite way. Huh. I, I, I never, based on this month, I never want to have to rely on something being current and fresh to keep the interest level and having to happen right now. Movies and TV don't have to happen in real time. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm always so torn on that. But, you know, Netflix, being able to stream TV, being able to to download a movie has been a lifesaver. Could you imagine what this quarantine, hibernation, pandemic terror mess would be if people didn't have the Internet right now? Oh, it would be terrible. It would be absolutely terrible. But here's the thing. What if, you know, what if it were reversed? You know, what if it were reversed and you actually, you know, you had all the games, every, you know, like everything you could, you know, you could want. You could even use the internet to watch old games if, if you wanted. I don't know. Like I said, it, it, it wasn't an easy decision, but and maybe it's just a matter of me missing sports so much right now. It's crazy, too, because I haven't, you know, I was talking to my students. We had like a Zoom video chat and they were like, what are you doing to fill your time? Because they know that like, I play basketball and watch a lot of basketball. And I was like, I played more video games in the last two weeks than I did probably since I was like 14 or 15. And uh, I've I played like so many hours of like the newest Assassin's Creed game. It's unbelievable. It's like a throwback to the past. Yeah, like you know, honestly, when it comes to those games, what's funny is when I see them being played, I think, man, that looks pretty awesome. But for whatever re- you know, whatever the reason is, I get to the house and I still have some games. I don't even know they're in a box somewhere. Uh, but when I get to the house, it's like, uh, you know, I'll just watch it. I'll just watch a movie or a show. Yeah, fair enough. And when we get to the NBA section of this podcast, we're going to talk about some things we'd rather watch than players play. NBA 2K because neither of us is at all interested in that. But let's let's start with Tiger King this week because um, it was sort of it's become sort of a phenomenon and like it's gotten to the point where uh, the main guy, the main the Tiger King himself, getting COVID was like the top of the news a um, couple of days ago. So I mean, just off the top, I've got no leading question. I just you recommended you I watched this. It was blown up on social media. Like just what the what the fuck? I don't I don't even know know what to say about it. 
no, I got you because this is it was easily the wildest documentary I've seen in a minute, you know, documentary series or whatever that I've seen in a minute, which is why I was recommending it so much. I I knew that you wouldn't relate to any of those folks, but it's one of those shows. It's one <laughs> of those shows. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those shows that you just can't get enough of it, or at least that was the case with me. I you know what I I got halfway through episode one I, was, I wasn't sure and then I devoured two and three and after that I was I was fighting to be interested because I was just like this is just this is too crazy and and I'm watching this and my thought was initially like America like how did this happen how did this go on for so long without you know people hearing about it and talking about it and like I've seen the photos of like Britney Spears and um, the Doc Antle guy and and I just I can't believe this wasn't a, a or a topic like I didn't even know you could buy tigers in the states. It was just pretty eye opening on how crazy some stuff can get. Yeah, you know the fact that if I'm, and if I'm not mistaken, they mentioned it a couple times in the documentary. There are more tigers in captivity in the state of Texas than out in the you know the rest of the world. All the, you know everywhere in the world. That's absolutely nuts to me. I had no idea what was going on. I lived down here in the States. So I, I've never heard of any of these guys. I didn't know that there were actual things like private zoos and quote unquote uh, animal sanctuaries, which is really it appeared to be the same exact thing. So yeah, I think that's why it, it just it, it really stuck with me and why I was recommending it to everybody I know. It's just it, it's just crazy. So before I ask you who's the craziest person on the show, I'm not, I'm not sure who your answer is. And um, but like, do we do we agree that Carol Baskin killed her husband? Well, allegedly she murdered that dude. She had I don't know how she did it. Whether she first she hit him over the head, or first she had somebody else help her out, and then fed her to you know fed him to the tigers. But let's be real. When you saw that you know that scene where they asked her about it, and she said, "Oh come on, what you'd have to you know cover a guy in in, uh, in fish oil or whatever it was." <laughs> Come on, man. You just hold on yourself. It's it's kind of like when I don't know if you saw this. This was back in 2006, but it, it, it kind of gained some steam you know, recently when OJ was released. But when he I think it was Soledad O'Brien that interviewed him. And it was if I did it, you know, and, and he was he kept on saying, well, hypothetically, I went to her house and hypothetically or allegedly I did this. That's what the feeling was with Carol Baskin. So, uh, you know, uh, no disrespect. Of course, you know, neither one of us are investigators or anything like that, but she did it. She absolutely did. Oh, I, I feel like she did. Like the episode of the meat grinder, whether I don't know if that was two or three. I was like, this is this is like too much. Like they're just casually walking by the murder, not the murder weapon, but the cover up weapon, I guess. And then you know how you get that feeling when you're watching like a murder mystery or a thriller, like CSI, Criminal Minds, whatever type of show, and you're just like, oh, that's the person. And and like that, I, I was getting that feeling hard, and it was like, I guess this is sort of like fictionalized in some ways or dramatized in some ways but yeah I was like she yeah she did it 100% she did it look um, it, it, and, and just to, you know, to wrap that up once I thought this before they showed but once they broke down okay so he flew all the time and he always flew domestic and so for some for some reason his van was left at this you know private airport you know where the planes weren't big enough to ever make it down to wherever it was Puerto Rico wherever you Costa Rica wherever he was trying to get I said okay yeah she did this she absolutely oh. did yeah and there was like you know he might have been cheating on her and there was the whole like the time with the van where it was mm -hmm. like not checked out yeah there was a lot going on, there was a lot yeah. going on. um who is the craziest person in the show? Because this is what I didn't expect about like the Tiger King is 
there, there's a lot of characters in there. There's a, it's it's this is not about one Tiger King. Like this is a whole cast of of ruffians. And for you, who was number one? Man, take your pick. <laughs> you know, you could go with Joe for being a narcissistic sociopath. For the record, while I'm not a doctor, I'm going to play one for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, if you went with Carol, I could totally understand that. You know, as we just mentioned, beyond allegedly playing a role in her first husband's death, she's got an extensive history with in doing some of the same exact breeding and housing. Uh, she hates the private zoos for doing. And you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, um, you know, she you know she calls her you know she calls her as a wildlife sanctuary and is kind of doing the same exact thing. If you want to say Doc Antle, you know, if you want to say him, I totally understand. You know, that was a very cult-like, you know, situation, and I won't step on the, you know, the up, you know, the upcoming uh, question, but you know, th- that was crazy. Even if you wanted to go with Saf, who was the lady, yeah, I don't know if you remember, but she was a lady that got her arm mauled by a tiger. Then she goes to the hospital with an opportunity to save her arm, but she decides some for some reason <laughs> she decided to have it amputated. She amputated. She had them amputate, amputate her damn limb so that she could get back to work within five days and not have folks make it a big deal out of it. Are you kidding me? They're all nuts. But I'm gonna go with Joe. Some some people are built different, you know. So yeah. I, it, some people are built different too. And I, when she was used to that as like a badge of honor, she's like, I was back to work in five days. I was like. That these people yeah. will just have to be not totally all right. Like on one hand, awesome, like awesome to see that you're okay enough to get back to work. On the other, why? Just, just why? Why? Is, why? And and even like I'm thinking back to like Soul Surfer or whatever movie it is where like the shark eats her arm and she wants to surf again. I'm uh-huh. like, nah, man. If I even see a shark, I'm never getting in the ocean again. If I if a shark swam near me while I was on the pier, I'm not getting in the ocean. These people are like, I just want to prove I can do it again. Yeah, I'm just built different, I guess. I'm not built for that. My man, 100%. I wouldn't watch the San Jose Sharks. I wouldn't go to Sharky's <laughs> restaurant. Nothing related to sharks is ever going to be the case. And in this lady, I would never go back to, you know, you go back to a, ti- a tiger uh, zoo. I'm, yeah, just yeah. I'm built differently as well. No thanks. A tiger zoo ran by Joe Exotic. Um, my choice, though, for sure, is Doc Antle. Okay. Like Doc Antle feels like he he could be an Austin Powers supervillain, but he's mm-hmm. he's he's a real human being. Um, yeah, and I just driving the golf cart, oh. and uh, they were like, "Where do you live?" And he's like, "No, no, no. My situation isn't for television." And he's got uh-huh. like. Five wives with different houses on the same block who all mm-hmm. share like he's just, like he doesn't even seem seem real and I and I th- say this all the time about like you know American politicians today I saw a gentleman um, telling people that they have no reason to be scared as they go out and about as he's in like a full hazmat suit yep. so I guess we are living in the era of caricature real human beings but Doc Antle having that arrangement. And being that weird and having all of these women still work on those conditions and abide by his rules and be part of that, I, I don't get it, man. And I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm qualified to speak on, you know, the, the, the mental capacity of people involved in that and cults and all of it together. But, wow, that was the most stunning part of it for me. Yeah, I, I, I you know, like I said, I, you know, I've got some Doc Antle, you know, thoughts coming up in the cult dynamics, but... 
I totally get why you would go with him because honestly, let's keep it real. All of them had crazy eyes, like like Carol especially, but Doc Antle as well. My guy rides up on a you know like when, he, when he's doing his little tours or when he's doing it, you know uh, uh, you know uh, breakdowns for folks that visit his zoo. He rides up on a on an elephant. He, it, there's just there's nothing normal about this documentary. There there are no normal people in this documentary. Yeah, he he was like. I, I mean, everyone had their moments, but when we were spending a lot of time with Carol or Joe, I just was like, I wanted to get back to, to Anton. <laughs> how, does this, how does this happen? Like, the one guy that he's selling the tiger to was like, don't don't teach me about tigers. Teach me about, you know, how you manage all these women. And I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to say that from a sick perspective of I want five wives. I'm just, how how do people stay in that situation? Like, I Unbelievable. Well, I don't know if you noticed it, and, and I'll go ahead and I'll, and I'll, I'll discuss the Doc Antle stuff right now. I don't know if you noticed it, but they were intimating that he grooms young women at the age of like 15 and 16. And then by the time they turn 18, they're already brainwashed to the point where, you know, like, like let's be real. I, I don't, you know, I don't mean, I don't want to spread any, any falsities. I don't want to, you know, you know uh, presume anything about those ladies, but it certainly looked like they were kind of like brainwashed. And it, you know, I don't know whether it's, I don't, I, I don't want to say Stockholm syndrome, but it kind of felt like that. And, and I was reading an article before this, and I, I was thinking about Stockholm as well, where like he's never faced criminal charges, mm-hmm. which is just insane. I mean, it's just insane. And I, I was going to spend some time on the cult dynamic, but I mean, really, you could look at all of their situations, like the masses who follow Carol, everything that happened with Joe Exotic, Doc. It's, I, I don't know, what, did you have anything to add there? Well, yeah, because like think, like, I'm glad that you mentioned they all could because they had folks that were working something. All of them had folks that were working something like 18-hour days, seven days a week, living in like broken down trailers. Now, Doc Handel, I at least give him credit for this. He's got them set up with actual houses. But the other guys, you know, they, they were absolutely taking advantage of them. With Joe, people seemed to be controlled by meth and coercion. The rest of them, coercion and whatever else they were using, just nuts. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll give that to, to Doc because – would not have wanted to live and worked at uh, at Joe's. I mean, oh. and like the the dropping off of the meat, and they like mm-hmm. check the the expired. Oh man. Yes. Um, yeah, I've had just about my film talking, and I, I I I couldn't do it by by episode five or six. I was just like, <laughs> this is just too much ugly in the world to talk about. Let alone the poor creatures, man. Let alone poor yeah. these these poor animals, like these majestic animals who. You know, just the ter- most terrible conditions all around, and being fought over, and it was, I mean, it, there's a lot of ugly in that show. For as fun as it was to see the social media reaction, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, let Let's go on to a little bit of a lighter note. Okay. Let's go on to a little bit of a lighter subject. So Disney's newest, uh, Disney's Pixar's newest film, Onward, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland uh, teaming up again outside of the uh, Marvel Avengers universe. Our brothers in a magical world that's no longer magical. They play animated elf brothers who have a chance to see their deceased father one more time for a single day and kind of go on an adventure to, you know, rekindle their own bond and, and find dad. Uh, I know you're not the biggest animated kids movie guy, and um, maybe it's because I'm younger, maybe it's because I teach younger kids, but I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. What, what are your initial thoughts? 
Yeah, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I I thought it was right up there with some of the ones that I've actually seen. Admittedly, you know, they, they, they a lot of these movies hit the market after my childhood and specifically during my late 20s and, and throughout my 30s. So, and I don't have kids, so, or, nor do I teach kids. So I, I wouldn't, I haven't necessarily watched a ton of them. Uh, but I felt like the writing was right on par with two of the you know two of the ones that I you know that I tr- that I truly enjoy whether it's the Incredibles or Coco which is actually uh, my favorite of all of them uh, yeah I, I thought it was well done I think Disney and Pixar have done a really great job of you know building a kids movie that kids are totally immersed with but at the same time pushing out like real heavy adult themes that like can keep you captivated regardless of what age you were. Because I didn't feel bored during this movie at all. And and there's been times where you watch like an animated feature, a kid's movie, and you're just like, you're not having it. It's not for you. But it never feels like it's catered to 10-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that is one thing that I do enjoy. It, it definitely feels like now, yes, they've got the kid stuff in there, but they've got a lot of sneaky stuff that as an adult, it's like, oh, okay, I like that. I can appreciate that. And, and you know, this was no different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Coco and The Incredibles. I guess I'll kind of put out here, we, we put out a Google form, and we're going to do this a lot. Like we, we, we said it in episode one, but we want the social media feedback. We want you guys to be part of the conversation. And every single week, we're going to have you know lists that you can be part of or questions you can answer. And you know it was great. You know, only threw it up this morning. Got a little over 200 responses, which is awesome. And I... I uh, I listed all twenty or twenty one of the twenty three Pixar major features, and then Bow, which was a short film that they did that I believe was in ta- attached to Incredibles too. But I know really hit home with a lot of people. And I just asked, like, not ranking, you know, what was your favorite movie, but which movie hit you the hardest? And and Jabari, what what was the, your answer to that? Uh, man, honestly, Coco was definitely the one for you know for me. Um, like you know, it feels like you know. I guess Coco, you know, really hit me uh, specifically because it seemed to tap into and capture like the heritage uh, and some of the cultural realities uh, that a lot of movies tend to try to sanitize for the masses. Now, of course, I'm not let you know I'm not of Latino or Hispanic descent, uh, so I'm basing this on my limited understanding and opinions of those folks that I do know. But I truly love that movie, and and it's one of those where I voluntarily watched it twice. And that let, let's just be real that that's not something that takes place with a lot of like you know cartoon or animated uh, you know stories. Yeah, I mean, Coco hit. And it was when, when Coco came out, it was one of those movies I was worried was riding a wave too hard, mm-hmm. right? Where sometimes people want to celebrate something for good reasons, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, is the film actually as good as people say, or are they just happy that a demographic that hadn't always been recognized or hadn't been recognized anywhere near as much, you know, had this movie for them? And sometimes when that movie is for them, um, it doesn't hit the same for you, which is totally fine. But I watched that movie, and I, I don't have that heritage as well, and I just love the movie. I, th- I, th- I thought it was a fantastic movie. I thought the writing was great. I thought the story was great. I'm, I'm glad that it resonated with, with uh, a culture and a demographic that doesn't normally get to feel those feelings and be targeted in that way. I, I thought it was a great all-around movie. Um, Onward hit me in a di- bit of a different way. You know, my, like my girlfriend lost her dad when she was young and just... Mm watching it with her I was like second second hand emotional like I, I couldn't I, even before even before she was cracking I was cracking and I was trying not to make eye contact with her because of how heavy you know it, it is I mean it's a heavy thing to lose a parent when you're young and, and it's a heavy thing to like have to rely on like a brother who's also um, 
not really sure who he is. And I, I think Onward does a fantastic job. And I guess um, the director of, of Disney's Onward, um, Dan Scanlon, um, he lost his, his father when he was younger. And you could definitely feel that all the way through the film. Yeah, you know, it, what's funny is when I saw this on the rundown, I thought I was going to jokingly say, you know, keep in mind I have a cold, dead heart, so movies like this you know, don't always do it for me unless I can personally relate. But, you know, you're exactly right. Even if you can't personally relate to, you know, to, you know, to your story, being in the same room as somebody that you know experienced it, it, look, they do a fantastic job of that. And, you know, you know beyond being widely, you know, popular and, and being able to, you know, kind of, you know, have something for everybody. They really do seem to nail that down. So you know what? You know, uh, bravo to them for doing that as well. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what got me going with this poll question. Is I just I find I'm I'm the opposite of you. I'm a total softy. I was looking through the 22 <laughs> options I put up on this poll, and I may or may not have loosed at least one solitary manly tear running at a slow speed down the cheek um, at at least eight of these films, but. uh for the record, I have like you know I I am one that actually celebrates you know men having a, a full range of emotions, men being able to tap into that. So I no worries on this end, man. You're gonna commend you're gonna commend me on. Um, okay, so interestingly enough, um, and and again, this is like my thought after watching Onward was wow, doesn't because I I haven't lost a I didn't lose a parent at a young age. I'm the older brother, not the younger brother. I it, it didn't my personal connection to this movie one to one was not. You know, there's there was no immediate link, but I, I came away feeling like Pixar once again does this great job of like really stirring up emotions and and everyone who watches these movies. So I put up this question: every single option, all 22 options in this poll, got at least a vote. Nice. I told people to pick three, right? I mean, every single one, even Cars with Owen Wilson, <laughs> which I don't know if you saw that, one. but that that surprised me. Cars with Owen Wilson. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna keep it real with you. I saw that back in the day. Don't remember anything about it, so that probably tells you how I felt about it. If you're listening to this podcast and you picked A Bug's Life as one of your three films that really <laughs> stirred it up for you, I would love to know why. Like, what what about A Bug's Life? Like this curious ant inventor ant who kind of lies to the colony coming of age story where he defeats a grass grasshopper kevin spacey um what about, what about that movie really got you because i would love to, i would love to hear it. i'm not even being facetious i would love to hear it but i'll just give people the top five because uh, i'm not gonna go through all 22 but um in fifth fifth place with 18 and a half percent of the vote finding nemo Finding Nemo hits home, you know, dad lost mom, loses yeah. the kid, for sure. And it was a great movie. Finding Nemo was a fantastic movie. Finding Dory was, was abysmal, but that's pretty good. <laughs> really. um, in fourth place, with 28.3% um, of the vote, Inside Out. Did you see that one? I did not. I, I know that I saw you know the social media reaction to it when it came out, so I figured it was a pretty good one. <laughs> you, you need to go watch... Um, you need to go watch this movie, and I just want to know. I don't want to spoil. I know we're a no spoiler show, but I don't want to spoil. There is a death that you would not think would hit you the way that it hits you, oh, and it just. I just want to know if you're if you're a cold heart, if if it <laughs> if it takes the same punches because I'm just gonna say there were some people um, in the comments who were like. This this person's death is what put me over the edge. So, okay. um, yeah, go watch that. Uh, number three, uh, Coco with 39.7%. Racist. Yeah. Should have been number one. <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I'm 100% kidding. 
number two was Toy Story 3. I think Toy Story 3 really hit, like, my generation, mm-hmm. like, mid to late 20s, early 30s, hard. Like, the, the you know, leaving the toys, leaving the childhood behind. <sighs> I, yeah. Thanks for thanks for ruining it for me. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I, I've, I saw the first two. Um, I missed the last two. But eventually, I'll probably check them out. They're all great. All the Toy Stories are great. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard to make four great movies in the same series, but they're all great. Very um, and then number one, 59.8%. So of the 207 people who voted, almost 60% of them had Up in their top three. The opening scene in I have seen Up exactly four times. The opening scene in Up brings me to tears, has brought me to tears all four times, including about a month ago when I watched it again. It is devastating. The, the whole, they're planning their life and life happens and they never get to go on their adventure and then she passes away. Oh my goodness. Like, if you don't cry during that scene, you're a psychopath. Let me, well, you know, I, I probably am either that or a sociopath. But let me ask this. What has, what, what has made you cry more? Your Dallas Cowboys continuing to fail year after year or the, these Pixar movies? Uh, <laughs> the Cowboys make me more mad. I, I did, at a different time, at a different juncture, I'll tell a story about how I destroyed a footstool. Um, <laughs> following an Aaron Rodgers performance, oh. um, that wasn't even the Des Bryant caught it moment. There was, was a, <laughs> yeah. We're not gonna go there. We're not gonna go there. But um, but yeah, no, fantastic movie. Check out Disney's Pixar on Disney's Pixar's Onward. It was a great movie, uh, not just for kids. Uh, Pixar does a fantastic job. Yeah, agree. Uh, let's go. Let's go to our bread and butter. Let's get to NBA. Yes. So. Uh, <laughs> I have a section for news and notes, and I'm like checking out the Athletic. I'm checking out the Ringer, checking out ESPN NBA. I have a Twitter list of about 34, 35 people that are all like NBA newsbreakers, mm-hmm. and I don't let anyone see that list or that they're on that list. That's just like, hey, I've been busy today. I really need to to skip through everything and see what I missed. List, and I scrolled for like five minutes, and there were. No tweets about anything basketball related. It was all like coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. We have so nothing. The, the news and notes up there are not exactly um, majestic, but uh, in in the hope of having some fun here, I threw out a couple ideas. Now the NBA is looking at uh, organizing a two K game, and or they already are doing the two K, and they're looking at organizing like a horse tournament. Do either of these intrigue you at all? No, I have zero interest in watching any of that. And, and don't get me wrong, I completely understand the idea and commend the league for you know scrambling. It's not like they had any way to you know fully prepare for this, but for sc- scrambling and attempting to put out content, but this stuff just isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, I can't. I was like, I, don't, I thought about horse for a minute. There's like no chance I'm watching them. There's no chance I'm watching people play 2K. Like, no. No. But not, for, like, not to say, hey, if you enjoy that, I'm glad that you've got a healthy outlet and something you enjoy doing during this time. Go for it. Absolutely, and it's kind of like you know, like if you thoroughly enjoy the All Star Game, that's all good. I may not, but I, you know what? The last, you know, the last quarter, you know, that final stretch, I'm all in. Yeah, but that that's just not for me. No way. Um, Horse, I would maybe tune in for a couple minutes if there was something else going on social media. But I, you know, I posited the question to you: What are some things that the NBA or NBA players could do that they could stream that could show up on ESPN two right now, where you would be interested? All right, so a couple of my my three things are: if you could get thirty two of them that have been tested and are completely safe, 
let me get a Domino's tournament. But this, t- yeah, exactly. Because look, I don't know if, if you know if this is a cultural thing or if folks are fully aware, but Domino's tournaments and Domino's games get active. So for this particular tournament, let me also get Matt Barnes and Metal World Peace into that mix. Yeah, I mean, I, I would watch it on like an Instagram live just to say that I did. But Domino's ain't moving me. Okay, so that's your number three. My number three was, uh, and this is hilarious, also board game. I played some Settlers of Catan on the weekend. Okay. Fantastic game. Let's see Let's see Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving debating who's going to trade the hay and who's going to trade the iron. And uh, I, I would watch some Settlers of Catan because that game gets hot. Is it a flat board? Yeah, it's a flat board. 100%. Well, Ky- Ky- Kyrie's <laughs> going to win. <laughs> <laughs> moving pieces. Yeah, moving pieces. Yes. Um, what's your number two? My number two was a ping pong tournament. And it's the same deal as Domino's. Mm-mm. No, no, yeah, let me get it. Make you know, of course, making sure everyone is safe and virus free. Uh, but for folks that think you know the competitive spirit, you know, stays on the court for these guys, absolutely not. Uh, you know, they're, they're the Lakers have had some legendary ones, and you know, R.I.P. Kobe. You know, oftentimes he you know, he he would you know come out the successor. Uh, but m- many of these guys are fiercely competitive and kind of would go nuts on that. So I would expect on that a CP3 versus LeBron finals. Yeah, no, I ain't into it. I'm not into it. You're not selling me. Um, here's my number two. So I, I pitched this when I saw the horse tournament was going to be happening for a lot of them in their indoor courts. Um, give me a cribs. Give me like NBA crib on the way to the court. Like show me what everybody's doing, where they're living, how ridiculous their house is. Let me just live in like prideful envy and check out the scene and maybe I'll, I'll stay for a little bit of horse. So, Cribs, the actual show back in the day, hit for me when I was about your age or even a little bit younger. And it was fine back then, but for me, absolutely not right now. I'm not interested in that stuff. You know, I, I would laugh right along with you and you know, check it out. Check out the, the highlights on social media, but that doesn't do it for me. Did, did, before we do our number one, did you see the Jason Tatum quote about uh, he would be doing better if he had a gym in his house? I did, and, and yeah. part of me thought like you don't even have a hoop like you know anywhere like in the backyard or you know but you know I guess I guess he's young and you know probably you know, probably was counting on having access to you know access to Celtics gyms. <laughs> this would be a lot easier if he had a basketball court in his place, but that's kind of expensive, and that's from Jay King of the Athletic, just to give credit. But I laughed. I was like, that's just one of those things where like the perspective goes so fast when you've got millions of dollars. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to be okay. You can get coronavirus results in a day where the public's waiting like a month. Um, you know, you're not, you're not, you've got a job, money's taken care of. Yeah, it would be a lot easier if I had a court in my house. Yeah, I'm sure it would be, friend. Um, he's he's still young, so like whatever. He didn't. I don't think he meant it from any bad place, but just one of those like really ignorant, stupid comments. Um, okay, number one. Number one, and you're going to disagree with this, but and it may be a generational thing. I want to see them play Blu-ray. And for those that, folks that aren't aware of what that is, that's the card game. It's similar to Spades, uh, but that's a card game that you know, that got Gilbert Arenas into some trouble. And I want I want them to let Gilbert Arenas and Michael Jordan get into this mix. And I can tell you, you you can disagree with this one, but that would be the most entertaining the, the most entertaining thing that you could put on TV right now. I won't disagree with you, and I'm gonna uh, shouts to John Gold and the Action Network who who broke that story. Um, Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton playing Blu-ray on the plane. And that is a crazy story. If you haven't read that story, 
go read it because it adds it it adds layers and I you know for those reasons I would I would probably entertain it. Um, my number one idea is we get somebody fun and I don't know who the right fit is for this right now but we get somebody fun like maybe like an NBA Twitter face like we get Tyler I am or Dragonfly or somebody and he gets two ping pong paddles so okay. here here's where maybe I'm with you and on one side. There's like Carmelo's face, and on the other side, there's Paul Pierce's face, uh-huh. and he and we just sit down like a different two different NBA players every week, and they have to choose on the spot and defend who is better and why, and okay. we do that all day on Twitter all the time, mm-hmm. and people who hate me still follow me and reply to stuff because everyone loves talking about this stuff. Let's let's just get two guys on there, put them on the spot, make them make a decision. Let's have some fun with it. I think it would, I would totally watch that. I would absolutely go for it. Let, you know, I'm I'm up for debates. Uh, quite, you know what's funny is back in the day before I knew who you were, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Always throwing out these questions and always throwing out these hypotheticals. It wasn't like I had a problem with you. I was just more of like, man, this dude's always on throwing this stuff out. Who is this kid? <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, I'm, I'm I'm here for the debate. How many times can this guy try to sell me on Dirk over KG? A lot. Exactly. I can do it a lot of times. Um, Speaking of Kevin Garnett, last week we talked a little Kobe. We talked a little bit of Duncan. Um, let, let's talk KG. What was your favorite KG moment? You know what's funny is my you know, there are plenty to pick from, and I was going to be a hater uh, simply because of the you know because of the anything is possible after Boston beat the Lakers and say like yeah my favorite KG moment was that game in the playoffs where Anthony Peeler made him look like the smallest person on the court. Uh, but truly, my my favorite KG moment is actually a combination of games because it you know it was his apparent distaste and hatred of Tim Duncan, and all the times the two went after one another over the years, uh, it really seemed to be one sided. To be honest with you, is Duncan just would you know would just quietly go go at him and and even through the challenges and antics at some time. But for anyone that's not necessarily aware with that rivalry, I I strongly suggest you you know check out you know some YouTube highlights because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was great. And I was thinking, like, his run in 04, um, mm-hmm. uh, where obviously he's great, wins the MVP, but, uh, you know, gets a couple off the Lakers. Uh, like, it, it was a special run, and it was the one team in Minnesota that he had that gave him a chance to contend, and he, and he made the most of it, I think. Um, but actually, the, the story, the first story that I thought of that came to mind and it just it goes with how savage he was. He talked about Duncan, and you know it, it, it's he's well regarded as one of the best trash talkers of all time. But I remember what year was Charlie Villanueva a rookie? So oh how my long? God. Ago? Oh my god! Two thousand six, <laughs> and and Charlie Villanueva had what al- alopecia, alopecia or something like that, uh-huh. and he couldn't he couldn't grow hair. If you don't know who Charlie Villanueva was, and no disrespect to Charlie Villanueva because when he was a rookie, he was nice, and I thought he was going to be nice, nice, and he went for like he had the rookie point record for the Raptors so Charlie V it's all love but I just remember reading that like him and Kevin Garnett got into it and it, it was because like Kevin Garnett called him like a cancer patient or something <laughs> yep. I think I think I was just so next level ruthless like he was a rookie KG was you know an MVP there was no reason for there to be any sort of you know there was nothing Charlie V could do to Kevin Garnett that was worth that kind of smoke but KG just always laid it out there Okay, so you, here, here's one for you. I was trying to do, you know, you know, be good and not necessarily blow things up, you know, just a couple episodes in. But okay, my, then if we're doing that, my favorite KG moment is Honey Nut Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios? Absolutely Honey Nut Cheerios. Anybody that wants to look that up, go ahead and do it. 
Yeah, I don't. I know that we've got we've got a wider leash here, but <laughs> we'll just we'll leave it. Yeah, go check out Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, okay, so if Kevin Garnett, we talked about this, you know, I feel like a month ago, mm-hmm. in regards to like Anthony Davis, because somebody was like Anthony Davis would give Kevin Garnett the business Stop. on Twitter, and I was like. Shut the hell up. There's no way Kevin Garnett would eat Anthony Davis's food. For as talented as AD is, like he doesn't have the dog that KG had, and KG was equally skilled and probably more mobile. Um, which which you know brings me to the idea here. If Kevin Garnett prime KG was in the league today, where is he? Like is he the best player in the game? He's okay, so the I, I the thought that I had on it, I'll share one second. For anybody saying, sorry, I have to address that. For anybody saying that AD would you know, you know, would uh, would destroy KG, you don't know the history. You don't understand how how dominant KG was as a defensive player. And quite frankly, what it would look like is two thousand is two thousand eight when KG went up against Powell. Before Powell, you know, got it together, you know, like over the over the next two years and, and toughened himself up, it would look exactly like that. Now, going back to your question. Honestly, no lower, no lower than third or fourth best. And to be honest with you, on many nights he would look like the best player. Uh, you know, if we're if we're talking about, especially if we're talking about his prime years, whether that was 02 to 08 or whatever. Don't let those wash years with the Nets and maybe even the, you know the last two that he you know that he played in Boston. Don't let them fool you. Pete KG was in the same discussion with Tim Duncan and Dirk during that period. Oh yeah, KG was so good. I I mean, I I throw some shade at KG. Mm-hmm. On the occasion that him and Dirk come up, and I think Dirk's better all time. But KG was so, so good, man. And like, he's not he he he's nowhere near as mobile as say Giannis because that's just another yeah, level. But he, but he, there's a level of like mobility and athleticism between Davis and Giannis that Kevin Garnett o- occupies, man. And like that story that always comes up about Anthony Davis, like oh he was he played guard till he had his growth spurt. That's why you know his on the ball skills are so nice. Da, 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 da. Like no, like Kevin Garnett played. They didn't have a point guard. He got told he was going to play point guard for the Timberwolves and was an all star. You know at six eleven, dude would be so good. I, I I think he'd be you know two or three in the league probably yeah. at worst. Yeah, he'd I think be. that's fair. I think. That's another like a cliche thing. Everyone's like, this guy would be so much better today. Like this guy would 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 eat today. This guy, kids don't even know, and that's not true for a lot of people. I really don't think it is. But for KG, it would be because yeah, well, for, for those guys that were freaks of nature, you know, during their time, it it can be a true conversation. But like for instance, I'm gonna, I, I'll be real with you. Ma- you know, you know who my favorite player of all time is? It's Magic. It's Magic Johnson. He would have to adjust, you know, adjust to today's game and and. If we're having a conversation of they would have current, you know, you know, current bodies and current training and things of that nature, then yes, obviously the all-time greats, you know, would be right, th- right there in that discussion. But we're, if we're taking them from the '80s and just plopping them down in today's game, no, a lot of them would have some problems. Oh yeah, no, yeah, and even even like the early '90s, mm-hmm. late '90s, but but yeah, no. I mean, if you're a freak athlete that can play multiple positions, um, playing in an era with more spacing at a faster pace and even more switching the positions benefits you. And Kevin Garnett would be fantastic. Exactly. Um, okay, uh, so let's let's wrap up with our game here. So okay. here's the scenario. You're dropped on a desert island. You can take on a DVD. You have a DVD player. If you don't know what that is, look that up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Five, five games. You can only there's you're never gonna get to see a live NBA again. There's no hope you're being rescued, but you can have five NBA games to watch on loop while you're on this island. You know, Tom Hanksing it, 
castawaying it, tending to Wilson, tending to Spalding. Five games. Uh, why don't we go five, five, four, four, and then we'll go to one. I got you. So my fifth game is game six of the 2010 Western Conference Finals. It was Lakers versus Suns. It's a game where uh, you know, Kobe famously pretty much hit every single tough shot in the world. And uh, you know down the stretch after he hit – the, the final of his, of his ridiculous circus shots. It's the game where he you know he kind of slapped Gentry, uh, the you know, the Phoenix coach at that time. He slaps him on the ass and then runs back down. Uh, so yeah, that that's the game for me. That's number five for me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, how how many Lakers games do you have in there? Just out of you know, curiosity, you, you you know most of them are dog. Come on, yeah. well, and that, I was thinking about that too, right? Because I, I was like trying not to make them all Mavs games, mm-hmm. but part of this too is like the nostalgia has. You only have five games. Yep. The nostalgia needs to play. Like, you need to have watched this game. You need to have had something at stake in this game. So I got a few Mavs, too. Okay. Um, so I'm, I, my honorable mention is uh, Game 6, Western Conference Finals, 2006, Phoenix and, and Dallas. Um, man, they, Phoenix didn't have Amari that year. And if they did, the Mavs probably don't get that finals running. It's my, honestly, the Suns probably have a title in 06. If Amari's healthy, because he didn't play it all year. But it was an overtime game. Everybody got theirs. Marion went for like 40. Nashville went for like close to that. Dirk went for close to that. It was just fireworks. And, I mean, obviously, I think the Mavs, Mavs lose that game, but go on to win the series and go to the finals. So, fantastic, fantastic game. Like, uh, it was one of the first ones that came up. But my that was my honorable mention. My number five, Boston at Chicago. Game six, 2009. Triple overtime. You know, uh, this was the Young Bulls. Derrick Rose is just making his name big, um, really, really busting on the scene. And Ray Allen has 51 in this game. It was just ridiculous. One of those, like, where were you at that moment type of game. I, I, I can dig it. I can absolutely dig it. Because that, you know, that Young Bulls team was a hell of a lot of fun. A hell of a lot of fun to watch, especially since it was all of a sudden, like, does Chicago have another great, you know, great player? Like, all, you know, and obviously this is all prior to, the you know, the, you know, Multiple injuries that you know kind of just derailed uh, you know Derrick Rose's career, uh, but no, it, it was a lot of things. Quickly, if you're talking about honorable mention, I'll just be quick. It's Game Seven, 2016 of the Finals. You you you, you know the, all all of the different things that took place. That you know that, that game will always stand out to me. Yep, yeah, go ahead. It's going to come up for me. <laughs> oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. Uh, get, you know, my fourth one is Game 4, 1987 Finals, Lakers versus Celtics. It was a great game throughout, and yes, uh, it's going to be a lot of this, by the way. Uh, back and forth battle. You know, it still came down to the wire. And, you know, it kind of set the stage for the baby skyhook for anybody that's wondering what, you know, uh, what, you know, what I'm referring to. Uh, James Worthy always tells the, you know, the story the best when he says the impact. As soon as the inbound pass uh, went to Magic, you could just tell there was no chance in hell that he wasn't taking that shot. So a few dribbles later, Magic was in the middle of the paint, elevating and shooting over Bird, Mikhail, and Parrish. Love that. And, uh, you know, it'll always go down as one of my favorite moments. And, you know, it got one of the legendary Chick Hearns, uh, you know, calls where it says, Magic down the middle, just like I thought, hook shot of 12. Good! Yes, we're talking about nostalgia here. Yeah, no, it, that's the biggest thing, man. If, if you got to keep five games, keep you warm in that, you got you got to feel it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even matter how good the basketball is relative to like how invested you were in that moment. So I feel it. I dig it. It's one of the times I won't pick on you for being a fanboy. It's all good. Uh, number four has got to be one of the more obscure games that you could probably ever think to put on this list. Okay. But it is. Okay, Eastern Conference semifinal. Game three. Toronto and Cleveland, 
Now, this is the only game in the series where Toronto showed up. But just for the context, or like th- this is the context. Cleveland has lost Kyrie Irving. Okay? Mm-hmm. Cle- Cleveland went seven against an Indiana team that had no business going seven. Toronto is the number one seed in the East. They're healthy. They've got experience. They've got home court. This was the series. They were favored. <laughs> they were favored. Experts. I'm not even going to throw out names, but I could. Mm-hmm. ESPN experts. Don't Big know. names. Picking rap- p- pick Raptors. Okay? I am in Orlando. I've told this story before. I don't know if everyone's heard this, but mm-hmm. told her I am in Orlando. And... Uh, the girlfriend and I, we're doing the Disney trips, we're, we're, we're doing the parks, and I am running all over, and I'm hoping it's hot, and we're getting up early, and I am rushing us back so that we can see these games, right? <laughs> Game three, the Raptors lost the first two. It's just been abysmal. LeBron's just killing them. This is the game where LeBron goes full court with like four seconds left, hits, <laughs> hits the, the fading jumper out of bounds to ice it. Like it was one of the most ridiculous. I have never seen a player own a team more mentally than LeBron owned the Raptors. There was no reason for Toronto to get swept and spanked in that series the way they did. But for that one game, they brought it and you thought they might have it. And then LeBron just, I don't even know. It wasn't even one of his all-time performances. He's like 38 or 37. But he just dominated them when it mattered. And that shot was just unbelievable. My, my guy, I'm so happy you chose this game because I, I had forgotten about that. You're 100% right. It was a back and forth. It was great. But when he hit that shot, I damn near fell off the couch. Like It was just one of those where it's like, dude, this guy's fading out of bounds, just kind of tosses it up. And I, I felt the collective heart of all of Canada, not just Toronto. I felt it just die right there. It's just like, and, and I've always, like the Raptors have always been like, my, my neighbor, you know, like mm-hmm. they're not my team, but I'm always like, man, people around the community would so, so be happy. So be proud if, you know, Chuck Raptor really nailed this one, you know, really came through. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I just was, I wasn't even in Canada, but I could just feel the country's collective morale fall through the floor. <laughs> so hit that jumper. Unbelievable. Um, number three. Number three for me, it's Game 5 opening round. This is an obscure one for you. Game 5 opening round last year between the Thunder and Blazers. Yes, an opening round game. Um, If you know me, you know the deal with my never-ending love for Damian Lillard. Uh, So to see a shot finish a game, you know, and series, and franchise configuration all at once, yeah, I'm 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 going to need that on my island. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Number three, number three. Um, I kind of... Bounce these all over the place, but I'm gonna say Game Six, 2011, Dallas at Miami, one and only championship I've seen my team win. There you go. The the game was not remarkable. I I can't homer like it wasn't. Nothing about that basketball game is all time in memory. No single performance was next level. Wade couldn't buy a bucket, which was nice um, for the 06 situation. But you know, just just getting to celebrate that, and I had to watch that game, you know, on the PVR. After shift bartending that night, mm-hmm. literally told everyone I knew that knew I liked basketball, don't text me, was on no social media. I watched that from like 3 to 5 in the morning alone nice. with a beer and some pizza. And it was just, it was a cathartic experience to see that, especially after all the Cowboys moments I've had. <laughs> uh, and, and then just, you know, following on social media after and seeing pictures of them at the club at LIV. And the, I had 
my screensaver for the longest time was Mark Cuban at the urinal holding the Larry O'Brien. It, I, it was just good vibes, man. I, I could watch that game over and over just because of what it meant for sure. So listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Even though they took the Lakers out during that run, I was really happy for you know for Mavs fans, and this was the moment that changed that turned it for me. When Dirk was sick, and you and you oh, saw yeah. and you saw Wade and LeBron clowning him on their way you know, from you know, from the you know, from the tunnel you know, to the locker room, I was like, you know what? Go ahead and get him, Dirk. Go ahead and get him. So I was happy for you. Yeah, and I, that kind of made it special too. Is like people were genuinely happy for yeah. Dirk, and there was a lot of pull, right? Like I mean, there was. Kid fans were happy Kid got one. Mm-hmm. Suns fans were happy Marion got one. Kings fans were happy Paige, Paige got one. Yep. But, like, the Heatles coming together the way they did and, like, them being arrogant and not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, and then the cough moment. It was nice that, like, people, you know, everyone that has a good team has that, like, like my team vibe. Like, mm-hmm. when you're on top, you want everyone to appreciate how great and special your team is. But it was nice to feel that, you know, the masses were with Dallas. Yep. Yep. All right. So number two. Yeah, number two. All right, number two for me. It's another ugly game, kind of like how you described this one. But it's Game Seven, the 2010 Finals. Uh, redemption for Powell after getting destroyed, as I mentioned earlier, after getting absolutely destroyed by that front line of you know of Boston two years prior. Redemption for a still hobbled Andrew Bynum. Probably the greatest moment of Ron Artest's career. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, they battled through, you know, what was obviously an ugly shooting night for Kobe. But, you know, what, let me also mention, I always think it's funny when people, you know, throw that out there, but they don't throw out the fact that he actually still played some defense in this game. He ended up with like 15, 16 rebounds. And if you look at the other side of the box score, I think <laughs> I think Ray Allen and Paul Pierce combined for a significantly worse, you know, shooting night. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, it, it was pretty much the, the, the epitome of whatever it took. So... You know, what, you know, whatever path it took to him land. I, I can tell you that Kobe was not good in this game. He, he did play some D, and he did grab a lot of boards. And it was 15. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. But as someone who disliked, who loved rooting against Kobe and mm-hmm. can't stand Paul Pierce, neither was good in this game. Like yes. n- n- neither neither was doing doing uh, what they were supposed to be doing as a score in this game. But yeah, absolutely the most memorable moment of Ron, Ron Artest's career. Like fantastic, fantastic. Absolutely, and even even the press conference after the fact. But uh, you know what? Now I now you made me have to go back to the Kobe thing. You can't just discount the other stuff that he did. Yes, he didn't you know he didn't score well and he didn't you know live up to that. But doing that other stuff matters. Paul Pierce didn't. But anyhow. You know, you know, I'm a homer when it comes to that. And again, R.I.P. to my dog. Uh, like, you, like huh? I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm, don't make me defend Paul Pierce, but like Kobe and our test together, our test shot 38 percent. Kobe shot 25 percent. So I mean, the Boston defense was doing their job too. Yeah, yeah. As, as a collective, yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good though. Yeah, that, that's my that's my number two game. My number my number two game is the 2016 game seven. There it is. I I can't I can't say it, it's it's not there because it is the mo the social experience like being as invested in basketball you know writing as a side gig podcasting being as you know on social media as I am all the time it just really felt like that was the pinnacle of collective basketball watching in my lifetime like I I never felt like there were more people invested in a series you know people Jordan fans didn't want LeBron to pull it out and Warriors fans had been so arrogant and LeBron really needed it and it 
you know, 3-1 had never been done before and 73 wins had never been done before and unanimous MVP had never been done before. And, like, Kyrie's shot and the bronze block, like, and Kevin Love's stop was just, like, a nice teammate bone, I guess. But, like, those two moments are iconic, iconic moments and they happened in the same game, in Game 7, of the finals against the team with the greatest record in NBA history and the unanimous MVP. It just... It's just so memorable, man. No, it really is, and 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 that's why, even though I didn't have it in my top five specifically, because you know I, I'm going with the you know the, the games that I absolutely need to watch. Uh, it, it, it 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 you're right. It had all of it had all the stuff. It had all the stuff. It had LeBron James as a, a as still as an underdog. You know, you know, to a 73 and you know a team that went 73 and not like it had everything. And you know what? That was the night where I said, okay. You know what? Stop hating on LeBron. Now, obviously, I, I appreciated his game before that, but that night right there was when I said, "Okay, you, you have to stop hating on this man." He went, ter- he turned into Terminator LeBron over those last three games and did everything. So I know Kyrie hit that shot, and I know Kevin Love, you know, got that stop down the stretch. But if you go back and watch, that was he was still at his peak, and it was, it, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it was so insane. That's the best three games. I've ever seen anyone play basketball ever. Consecutively. Yeah. Yeah. Which you didn't see Jordan play, right? And I'm not talking about the Wizards, Jordan. That doesn't count. That's not Jordan. Yeah. And, like, that, that's the thing, too. Like, I've seen every finals game Jordan has ever played, mm-hmm. but I never saw them live. Yeah. And so okay. you miss, like mm-hmm. – like, and I, I admit, like, you miss all of the buildup and all of the story and all of the – like, I already know the result. It's, it's not the same feeling when you watch them, mm-hmm. but, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, so my number one, we've talked about it many times. It's Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in 2000, Lakers and Blazers. The Blazers battled the hell out of the Lakers in that series and even had them down by double digits at Staples Center, you know, late in the third, if not into the fourth. I think it was actually into the fourth. Kobe went to work. B. Shaw and Robert Ory got hot. Diesel did just enough. And, yeah, I'm using nicknames here. Um, <laughs> Diesel did just enough. And all of it kind of culminated in the perfect moment where Kobe crosses Pippen back to Chicago and throws up the perfect lob over the outstretched arms of Sheed and the other defenders that were there. Where Shaq literally seemed to you know, kind of you know, come from the rafters. And he, he officially started that dynasty. I know it's the Western Conference Finals. They still had to win. You know, they still had to beat the Pacers in the finals. But that dynasty started with that dunk and that reaction. Yeah, and I, I, I almost put this in. Mm-hmm. And I almost put this in, and then I didn't because I knew you would. You but this is like, I watched this, I don't even know if all of it, like with one of my my first or second ever like competitive basketball team, not like little kids playing community. Mm-hmm. Like this was, I think my first year of like competitive basketball as a team, we watched part of this game. And then... I had no idea in the moment that it was important or special probably at all. Mm-hmm. But then coming back and realizing I got to watch part of that was really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an all-time game for sure. Um, my number one, 2006 Western Conference semifinals, mm-hmm. game seven, Dallas at San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Now, little brother, big brother, right? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. My entire fandom, the Spurs were better. The entire time I've been a basketball fan, the Spurs were better. In 03, <laughs> Dallas is in this series. Western Conference Finals. Dirk and Nash, my two favorite players other than Vince Carter in the, in the game. Mm-hmm. Dirk gets hurt. Three games. Next three games, Spurs get him out of there. They lose Nash in the offseason. Wasn't sure. You know, like, what what is going to happen? 
Dallas gets back. 06. It's game seven. It was a that's one of the best series I've ever seen. Um, all of all of the history, Dirk and Duncan both in their prime, doing crazy things. Devin Harris in in this series and in this game, I didn't want to trade Devin Harris for Jason Kidd years later because of how he played mm-hmm. in this game in this series because it felt so special and so significant. Um, but when it gets to overtime, and you know, I, I'm thinking for sure, like overtime game seven against the Spurs, no way we're no way the Mavs are pulling this out, no chance. Yeah. And then I think the Spurs scored like two buckets. I think they won like 11-4 in overtime. It was like this. It was it was a decisive overtime. And it, 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 was, it was such a crazy feeling. Like, better than getting to the finals that year. I won't say better than winning the championship, but it felt like such a massive step for that franchise's growth. You, you hit it on the head in the, you know, the lead-in. It's big brother, little brother. When you finally, you know, get to that mountain and, and overcome the peak, and you, when you, get, you, know, you get over the mountain, that's the greatest feeling in the world. It really is. So I can totally see how, it, how at least – uh, you know, in in a comparison to how you feel about it, I can see how it compares to a title. And I, I feel like this is making me sad thinking about the Clippers maybe having the chance to do that to the Lakers this year too. <laughs> Not to say it would happen, you know, but like mm-hmm. getting cheated of that opportunity would would have really hurt, you know. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. Sorry, sorry, Clippers fans. Sorry about that. Uh, but we're not going to say that yet because, you know, we're still getting playoffs in the summer. That's what we're hoping here. Hey, knock on wood. Exactly. That's what we're hoping on Dunks and Discourse. Appreciate you all listening. Episode 3 coming out later in the week. Uh, like, rate, subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify. Thanks to Blue Wire Network for uh, bringing us on. And we'll catch you next episode. Hold on, Josh. We missed it last oh. week. We're not going to miss it this week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Josh Everly and at Jabari Davis. And you know, feel free to jump into the mix. Uh, continue to you know, provide topic ideas, feedback, as well as your takes on the shows. 